My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. We've all heard you are what you eat, but how do our food and eating habits influence our relationships or our sex lives? What if your partner has totally different habits or values around food or politics. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we're going to explore these topics and more with an incredible expert and returning guest, Victoria Moran, plus a very timely Ask Dr. Megan segment. Before we dive in, just a quick reminder that you can sign up for occasional Girl Boner extras on my website, augustmclaughlin.com. I send updates about once a month, which often contain goodies I don't share anywhere else, plus news about my forthcoming Girl Boner book and more. I would love to have you join me there. And if you'd like to support Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes, where you can also post a simple review and follow the show on Spotify. And as always, I would love it if you'd share episodes you love with your friends and find me on Girl Boner in the community on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash mygirlboner and my personal accounts on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm so pleased to welcome Victoria Moran back to the show for the first time in the studio with me here. Victoria is a vegan of over three decades, host of the award-winning, awesome Main Street (laughs) Vegan. She's also featured twice on Oprah and was voted PETA's sexiest vegan over 50 for 2017. She's authored 13 books, including the iconic Main Street Vegan, and the brand new The Main Street Vegan Academy Cookbook, co-authored by J.L. Fields. I have my copy and can't wait to dive into it. Thank you so much for being here, Victoria. Oh, thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here in person. I've wanted to meet you for a long time. I've been following your work, as you know, and your son-in-law and I actually worked together years ago, back in my acting days. And you've been a supportive influence in my writing career. And also, I love the positivity that you bring to so many conversations around self-love, self-care, eating well. So thank you for that, too. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's fully mutual, and it's always wonderful to have the experience of somebody in three dimensions that you've just followed online and in books. So true. So could you share what the decision was like for you to become vegan? Well, it was slow and long. Uh, The decision to become vegetarian was pretty quick. I was 17. I started reading about yoga. And all those books said, if you want to be serious about yoga, you stop eating meat. And I thought, well, that's not too hard. But I was a practicing binge eater. And what was really hard a few years later when I learned about veganism was even though I wanted to do it for ethical reasons, I mean, I didn't want to pay somebody to kill an animal that I wouldn't kill myself. And I learned that for dairy, the mom calf, the mom cow and the baby calf got separated. And terrible things about the egg industry, and I just didn't want to support that. But as a binge eater, I'd be standing at the 7-Eleven in the middle of the night reading those labels, and it was just really, really hard. So it was a transition. It took me several years, and the 
quick version is for me, I got into recovery for the eating disorder. And once I knew that I had the power of choice about what to eat, I wanted to make the best choice that I could, which was to be vegan. And that was 35 years ago. Beautiful. I've met a number of people who, through their recovery process from disordered eating, they end up cultivating this beautiful plant-based lifestyle and they feel so empowered by what you just said. I get to make the choice now where they prior to that felt they didn't have so much control. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Whenever your life is not working and it looks like it's the fault of, of some substance and then you come to see, oh gosh, you know, it was really how I was relating to everything, certainly in terms of food, which is not a substance that we can just put down and, and walk away from. I think that we don't want to have a neutral relationship with it. We want to have a super relationship with it. And so to me, the idea of eating food that's beautiful and colorful and just makes you feel kind of magical. There was an old, old movie. You can still get it on probably Netflix. It was called A Bell, Book, and Candles, a 1950s movie with Kim Novak. And she was a modern-day witch but in this story, if you were a witch and you fell in love with a mortal, you would lose your powers. So this was happening for her, and she got her Aunt Queenie, who was a practicing witch, a scarf for Christmas. And Aunt Queenie looks at the scarf and looks at Kim Novak and says, but what does it do? And mm -hmm. Kim Novak said, it makes you look ravishing. And Aunt Queenie goes, oh, because she was disappointed. She wanted something magical. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about food. Mm -hmm. You know, I could just eat something okay, but I would rather eat something full of bright colors and antioxidants that is going to make me a more exciting person. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I imagine it influenced not only your relationship with yourself and your connection to food, but also your relationships with others. Did going vegan influence or has it your romantic partnerships? Well, I think for a lot of people, it can be a problem. Just because uh, I think of us as different drummer diners, I mean, it's certainly growing. It's just becoming amazing. And certainly a lot of people who aren't vegan make vegan choices some of the time. And there's vegan foods in most restaurants. And, and so it's definitely a very different world than it was when I got into it. But still, whenever you make a choice that has a name, and it doesn't matter what you call it, you can say, I am vegan, or I am plant-based, or it can come from a whole, you can be paleo. But once you are something, that means the people you're in relationship with may not be that. And so they haven't changed, and it's threatening that you've changed. And so you've got to kind of renegotiate all that. I mean, we just had that with my husband because he was vegan. But, you know, you can be vegan and eat a lot of veggie burgers and white buns and things like that. Or you can really go for the health part of it, too, which I always did. And so we had, you know, a nice – it was fine. We were both vegan and I was the health nut. And then all of a sudden, a year ago, he decided he was going to get really healthy and he went pretty much raw food and it was a little thing, four or five months, because I'm over there thinking, wait a minute, that's my role. I'm the healthy one. You're supposed to be having that white bread bun. <laughs> but it's worked out now, and it's wonderful. And, and he's transformed himself, and he's very happy with himself. But relationships, certainly, and you're the expert on this, are tricky under the best of circumstances. And you go bring in something from 
you know, left field. Because I think, you know, we meet somebody and it's like, okay, this is you. This is the person I fell in love with. But just like with ourselves, and we have to be in love with too, we have to allow for changes. Absolutely. We actually have a question from a listener that ties very well into that. This came from an anonymous person who wrote this. My husband and I have very different political beliefs and have been having a really difficult time this year. We used to keep politics off the table, but I feel so passionately against what's happening now that it feels necessary. And frankly, I'm shocked that he still supports the person I cannot even say the name of. (laughs) I think we know who that is. It's affecting everything from our daily interactions to our sex life. He keeps telling me to get over it, let it go, stop talking about it, but I don't think I can. I want to save our marriage. It feels that serious, but I'm not sure how. Thank you so much for this question. I feel like a lot of people can probably relate. And here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of Great Life, Great Sex had to say. Wow, August, I'm loving this question. And I'm frankly surprised we haven't been asked it many times over this past year. uh, Because, uh, you know... There, it has been a very challenging year for, for many individuals and couples. And this isn't something that's just impacting marital relationships. It's also impacting uh, close friendships and family relationships. I certainly have had a number of clients who um, didn't go home for the holidays, for Thanksgiving or Christmas, or had definitive rules with their family members about you know, what topics were off the table, right? What uh, political conversations or beliefs were to sort of be uh, put on hold or to the side so that they could focus on and celebrate the time together as a family. And so, you know, when I think it comes to your marriage, it's interesting, you know, at one point you said that you had been able to uh, sort of put those beliefs to the side. Um, And, you know, ultimately, I can appreciate sort of in this current Uh, sort of political climate that that's become harder and harder for you to do. And yet, I think it sort of speaks to this fact that, you know, we have this expression, like, what we focus on expands and what we resist persists. And it sounds like because of your strong political beliefs, it's, it's seeping into, you know, your relationship and the bedroom. And, you know, I'm inviting you to recognize that you know, not only are you alone in this challenge of having this difference, but that as a couple, um, many couples uh, really agree to disagree politically in the name of love. Um, I think some of the, one of the most famous examples of that uh, was when the political strategist Mary Madeline and James uh, Carville famously had battled heads um, and butted heads on the campaign trail and yet stunned us all in America, I think, when they fell in love, got married, and raised a family. And it's also true, there's even rumors, right, that first ladies have had, uh, not certainly haven't agreed with their presidential spouses on every issue. Um, you know, I think Laura Bush would be sort of an example, for instance. So I think it's really important that you sort of take a step back. First of all, that you've recognized that something needs to happen. If this goes... Um, on as is, right, it really could put your marriage at risk. And so I'm having, when I say take that step back, it's to recognize, um, you know, your who you are as a woman and your political beliefs does not fully define you, right? You're also a wife and you might also be a mother or a sister. And I think when it comes to your marriage, it's to realize, you know, instead of those differences, which is what is so prevalent, it's to recognize what are your, what are the strengths, right? What are our shared goals, uh, values, interests? What is our shared vision? You know, to me, it sort of reminds me of the Gottman rule five to one. So that, again, the, the idea is the negativity bias of our brains 
we are focusing in the moment about those differences and they're getting bigger, right? And Gottman would say, take the time, the moment for every negative thing you notice, what are five positive things or that are also true? Or in this case, what are five uh, similar things you have the same shared uh, beliefs around? And really redirecting your attention to what's common versus that difference. Um, and also to recognize that, you know, it's an opportunity to play, right? That, you know, have a competition about giving and receiving pleasure, a competition about pleasure, a competition about gratitude. You know, how do you take that into the bedroom? Um, because I think that could be really hot. So I think uh, it's great that you ask this question, take a big step back, see what are the ways that you can try on new strategies. Like maybe when you cross the threshold going into your bedroom, you know, you leave all those politics and beliefs aside. Um, be creative in this process, figure out together what works for you. And when and if you're really stuck and it really feels like you can't table it and you don't know when to walk away um, because there's such a strong difference of opinion that it's leading to an argument or, you know, we call that the amygdala hijack, right? Your emotions can sort of run the show and then all of the best of us, uh, our rational thinking, um, the prefrontal cortex is offline. So we never want to get to a place where we're in such reactivity that um, we're not even able to hear our partners, right? So I think you have to have some ground rules around when you explore those differences, how you do so, when to walk away, and, you know, and then coming back to and seeing the opportunity, right, to how this could really strengthen your relationship sort of at the core and it's the foundation because you're going to remind yourself day in and day out what it is that drew you to your partner in the first place. And that's the place that I want you to focus on and expand. As always, uh, I know this is a challenging one, and I said, you know, if, it, if you feel like you can't do it on your own, please, please do seek the expertise of a licensed, qualified couples therapist. Um, because, you know, you're not in this alone, you shouldn't be in it alone, but when if you're really stuck in all these um, sort of tips that I've given you, when if they're not helpful or really don't feel like it's turning the tide, there is absolutely professional help available. As always, love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she had to say about knowing when something needs to change and also setting the boundaries so that if you do want to stay in a relationship and you have these big differences that you're able to still thrive and connect. I wonder, Victoria, have there been times in your life where there's been a particular challenge or a challenging experience, whether it was a romantic relationship or a friend where different dietary choices and beliefs was a, a barrier or have you always pretty much been able to be, you know, disrespectful of our differences? It's difficult sometimes for me as a vegan. A lot of people do this for health. And then you can have differences. You know, there are a lot of people in the plant-based world who don't believe in using any oil. I mean, I'm half Italian. There's always going to be a bottle of oil in my kitchen. But then because I'm also an ethical vegan, it, it's difficult on the one hand because I think about what's happening with the animals and I want everybody to be vegan yesterday, but I also understand that it didn't happen for me overnight. And so I like to do a celebratory conversion, meaning that whenever somebody says, you know, I bought a bottle of that almond milk. And I'm like, yes, that <laughs> is just the coolest thing ever. And I'm going to get you this fabulous custard recipe. Instead of like, that's it. That's all. Can't you do better than that? And and to just understand that and enable somebody to maybe come further when the time is right for them. 
starting where we are is so important. I love what you said about considering the process it took for you. We can't force the same kind of forward movement in any area of life on another person. I, I really like that perspective a lot. You feel that food preparation is a really important thing and sharing in food can be a really important thing for a couple to share. Would oh, absolutely. Well, the more beautiful the food is, the fresher, the more colorful. When you think about aphrodisiacs, you know, we think about strawberries and chocolate. We think about mango and how it's all juicy. And and mm-hmm. these are the kinds of foods that they kind of ground us in a way. There's something wonderful about touching them. And I talked in an old book, The Love Powered Diet, years ago because I discovered this very early on. Just think of something like string beans. You can buy them frozen, and they're just the same as fresh in terms of nutrients and calories and all that. But if you buy the fresh ones, you have to tear off the ends. And this is a sensory act, and it's kind of a sensuous act because you're interacting with nature. And if this is something that you and your partner are doing together, you know, you tend to kind of joke and... It just brings out the best in people. So there's something, I've heard the phrase from Wendell Berry, he says, eating is an agricultural act. And the closer that we can get to the food, the more beautiful it is, and I think the more of a sensory experience with yourself or in relationship. You're really inspiring me to cook more, not only because of this beautiful cookbook. I do cook, but I find, I often find it challenging especially on really busy days or, you know, if I'm just cooking for myself, it feels like, oh, I'll just grab something. And I wonder if you have any suggestions for, because the way you're describing it sounds lovely, but so often for me, cooking feels like a chore. Right. Well, simple foods are wonderful, and sometimes they're the sexiest foods too. So one of my favorite quick lunches is a sliced apple with almond butter or peanut butter, a couple of, of medjool dates that are the big juicy ones, and maybe some celery sticks, which have already been pre-washed and are just ready to pull out, maybe some um, some romaine leaves. And these flavors and textures together are really lovely. And you can say, hmm, well, I'm going to wrap a piece of this date in the romaine. And then you get the little bit of of moisture from that and the sweetness from the date. And the textures are so wonderful. And then you just start getting ideas and you think, oh, well, next time I'll put a walnut where the date pit used to be. And, And you just become someone who falls in love with the food, but in a really, really healthy way. And then in terms of cooking quickly, there are all kinds of things you can do, like cooking on the weekends. Like if you're somebody who likes grains and beans, you can get some of those going ahead of time. And then you can just put things together, like the bowl, the Buddha bowl is pretty popular at a lot of restaurants. And you can do that at home. And something I've discovered recently You know, there are all these wonderful um, appliances. My co-author, J.L. Field, is very big with the air fryer. She wrote a book called The Vegan Air Fryer, and she wrote a pressure cooking book. Well, I'm in New York City in a little tiny kitchen. I don't have all these appliances. But just in a regular pot with a steamer, you can start with potatoes or sweet potatoes because they take a while. And then you put some onion and garlic a little bit later. And then maybe you put some beans and then you put some greens at the very end. And you have this amazing, colorful, healthy meal from one pot that takes, depending on how long it takes to cook your potatoes, maybe 15 minutes. You might get by with 10 if you chop them up really small. 
so brilliant. And I love that everything you shared did not require a whole bunch of cleaning because that's half of it for me is Mm -hmm. I end up using 17 different dishes when I cook so often because I'm very uh, creative with it. Like I like to just pull out things, but the, the quote mess of it has, has stood in the way for me. So I like how you said you could, it doesn't even have to involve cooking, cooking. It's, it's pairing these foods together. Exactly. And I was recently introduced to something. I don't work for these people. I don't even own one, but I just saw it. It's a thing called a veggie dome hmm. where it, it's a beautiful oval glass thing that can sit on your, your table and you put the vegetables in there that have already been washed that you want to use in the next day or two or three. So they're not cold. I think this is one of the problems with fresh vegetables. People are like, it's winter time. I don't want to take something out of the refrigerator and eat it. So, you know, it's it's kept very fresh, but still room temperature. So there are all these interesting ideas and contraptions and things to try. I know for me, for a while, I got away from cooking because I thought I've done it for a really long time. And, and for me, it was kind of one of those menopausal things of I don't remember whether it was my husband or my daughter, but somebody came in and and said, what's for dinner? Perfectly innocent question. And I just had to stop myself before I said, fix your own blank dinner. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, what happened? It's sort of like, I'm done. I'm done with the cooking thing. But then more recently, as I've gotten more interested in the wonderful health properties of fruits and vegetables, now I love to cook again. So we can also allow ourselves to cycle and sometimes like one thing and sometimes like another. Very well said. And I think that's part of the reason that I started to feel like it was a chore because when I was struggling with an eating disorder, I cooked every single thing I ate to have control of it. Mm -hmm. So it felt very freeing to not cook, to grab something, to grab something that wasn't even, you know, quote, perfectly nutritious and Mm -hmm. to give myself that freedom. But now I'm finding, you know, freedom in the plant-based foods, which for me started out as restriction mm-hmm. and became very freeing. So I, I love that shift and in, in that it can be in cycles. Yeah. And you can start a new chapter. Exactly. And I think with the attitude of adding instead of subtracting, like so many people, however they're looking at changing their diet, well, I'm going to give up whatever it is. And instead of, oh, I'm going to add. And that's one of the things I love about the way I eat, because the first thing I learned to add were all these incredible international foods. I mean, when I was a kid growing up in Kansas City, I didn't eat Ethiopian food. I, you know, I didn't eat Indian food. And so all of a sudden, because so many countries around the world have these very highly developed vegetarian cuisines, I learned that first. And then I learned about fruits and vegetables and how you go to the farmer's market and there are all these vegetables that come in purple. I mean, who knew? Basically, I ate apples, oranges, bananas, Mm -hmm. and iceberg lettuce and kind of wilted tomatoes and spinach (laughs) from a can. Very boring. And so it's the idea of just giving yourself not just nutrients that can be measured in a laboratory, and there are plenty of those, but also this life force energy. Like I'm a big fan of green juices. A lot of people aren't. They say, well, that's not a whole food. And I know that. And yet for me, it's an infusion of vitality and youthfulness. It's just a magical thing. And the other thing that's kind of cool about green juices is that if you're somebody who wants like a cappuccino and a monster cookie at three o'clock in the afternoon, believe me, I've been there. But at 2.30, you have a green juice with the idea, if I want that coffee and that cookie, I'm having it. But 
the juice changes you from the inside, so you just don't want it anymore. And it's not like, I can't have that. Yes, you can. You can have anything. But what's so cool, especially for those of us who have come through eating disorders, is if you heal at the desire level so that what you want is also what your body wants, then you're just in wonderful compatibility with everybody, and it's cool. That concept of intuitive eating, listening to your body, and listening to your desires, and like you said, allowing those to shift from the inside, that's that's really powerful. So green juices, I love the idea of them. Do you make them? I do now. I used to buy them cold-pressed, which was wonderful because there was a time when you couldn't buy them in bottles. You had to make them yourself or get them from a health food store that had been freshly made, and you had to use them really quickly. And now certainly you can buy fabulous juices and drink them that way. I've recently discovered the medical medium. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He's this amazing fellow. He's, you know, more on the kind of woo-woo side because he's talking about getting information from spirit, kind of like Edgar Cayce. So he's really big on celery juice, and you can't just buy that. So I got my juicer out and have started doing the celery juice. And it's kind of like, well, you know, it's out. I may as well do, (laughs) you know, carrot, beet, and apple this afternoon. And um, yeah, I, I love the, the juicing. And, and I love anything that gets me involved with the food. It's sort of like making peace because like you, for years, uh, the food was the enemy. I thought it was coming after me. I thought if it would just leave me alone, my life would be perfect. And so now to embrace it in all these interesting ways and also to be willing to experiment and see what works. And if something doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. You do something different the next day. I have to ask you about some of the physical health benefits you have reaped. And also, and I want to say this in a really positive way because I don't want to shame aging, but you radiate and seem very ageless. And again, I don't think... I want us to stop vilifying aging, uh, but you have this vibrancy about you and this really gorgeous skin. How much do you feel that the dietary lifestyle that you lead influences that? I think quite a bit, and and I don't know for sure because I you know Since <laughs> haven't lived the decades. other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I really think that what happens is that people in our culture from stress, from uh, spending a lot of time indoors. Maybe you don't do quite so much of that in California. Mm-hmm. but uh, and, and from eating a lot of processed foods and, and food that doesn't have that life force energy I was talking about earlier, we age prematurely. And so the idea is not to say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm 67. It's like, you know, not to say, I don't want to look 67. It's like, I don't mind looking 67. I just want to look like a 67 alive. And, you know, of course, I live in this culture and I have an ego. And if somebody says, oh, my God, you don't look 67. You know what? I admit it. I feel good that they said that. But the fact is, it's really about this kind of light. And I think it comes from a lot of things. I think it comes, for me certainly, I believe I just got a a beautiful gift of lightness when I stopped eating animal products because I do care about the animals. And I feel like I was guilty when I didn't even know I was guilty because I was part of the system that I personally could not condone and yet I was supporting it. So that was the start for me. And then I think learning the wonderful benefits of fruits and vegetables and other plant foods are great too. Beans, grains, nuts and seeds are all wonderful. But fruits and vegetables are particularly healing and particularly 
We don't have good words to talk about aging, so I'd say youthening, and it doesn't mean that 25 is better than 75, but to just use a word that people understand. Um, And then I also think there's a lot about attitude. And to me, the most youthful way of being is to be excited about the day. Like, oh my gosh, what can I do to do something amazing in the world today? And I think you can kind of nurture that a little bit with the food. Like I tell people, maybe you are going to make that green juice in the morning. And how much better you're going to feel about yourself and how much more it's going to do for you if you put it in a stemmed goblet instead of a plastic superhero's cup from the Taco Bell. <laughs> Same juice, <laughs> really different feeling. Yeah, completely different. And that life approach to, I think, inevitably benefits everyone around us as well. Have you found that a lot of people in your circles have been influenced as far as becoming more plant-based because they have seen the benefits that you've had? I think we all influence one another all the time. You know, they say in the 12-step programs, if you have something that somebody else wants, they're going to do what you did to get it. And and that's really true. And I've recently witnessed this in my husband. He, he lost 75 pounds, and I would say 35 years. I mean... And it's really kind of funny, August, because we'll go out for lunch or dinner in New York City. And if we're at a vegan restaurant where chances are I'm going to run into somebody I know, I was noticing last summer people were acting very nervous. And I couldn't figure it out. And it happened more than once. And then I realized they think I have a guy on the side. (laughs) They don't know who this young person is that I'm with. And it was really just my very same husband (laughs) after... A lot of stress relief. He really cut back on his work. It was really difficult. So stress is a killer and an ager. And he also upped his exercise, and he started eating lots and lots of fresh, raw, colorful, beautiful, healing food. And it's it shows. It's amazing. It's really incredible how becoming more conscientious in one area of our life does tend to kind of lead to other areas of improvement. And I think that's one of the benefits of having a a diet that you feel really matches your ethics. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's it. Somebody said to me very early on in, in my journey, which was kind of my food journey and my spiritual journey and all of that. And she said, if this, meaning this sort of aspirational, purposeful, conscious way of living touches you anywhere, it touches you everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I have found that to be true. Wow. So there is a study uh, published in Chemical Stress in 2006 that showed that red meat consumption had a, a negative or adverse impact on perceived body odor and physical attractiveness in the partner, and that non-meat eaters, on the other hand, seem to have a much more pleasant, attractive scent and flavor. What are some of the other sexual benefits of plant-based living. The main one is for men in terms of erectile dysfunction because what is known now is that ED is a precursor to heart disease because the little vessels that go to the penis are also, they get clogged with the plaque from the cholesterol, just the same as as the arteries that that, um, are dealing with the heart. It's just that those heart arteries are much bigger. So that is not going to show up until later. And so it's not an idea of, oh gosh, you know, I'm 45, I'm a little bit overweight, I better get the Viagra. 
It's no, this is the canary in the coal mine. This is really letting you know that you've got plaque buildup in your arteries. And heart disease, you know, it's it's kind of not the disease that people get all excited about. You know, it's not some kind of new autoimmune thing that everybody's hearing about for the first time. It's not cancer, which is so scary and horrifying and always gets everybody listening. But it still kills more women and men than anything else in this country and in the Western world. So whenever um, a man uh, switches to a plant-based diet, and in this case, you know, maybe not so much olive oil as uh, (laughs) some of us Italians would like, uh, more of a low-fat plant-based diet, which has been actually shown by work of uh, Dr. Dean Ornish in um, California and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn Jr. at the Cleveland Clinic to not just help out, prevent a little bit, but even reverse existing heart disease. So that's a very big one. That's huge. And I know plant-based foods really do increase blood circulation. So during arousal, regardless of your genitalia, we all need blood flow. And so all of that can be enhanced by the ability of, of blood to flow through you. So all of those foods that you mentioned, but especially fruits and vegetables, we hear different numbers about how many fruits and vegetables to eat every day. Lots, tons, Just lots. many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think for those of us who come from eating disorders and it's like, wait, wait a minute, that's another 100 calories. Yes, yes, it is. Eat it. Eat it. Mm-hmm. It's good. Fruits and vegetables. Yeah can only do good. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have to tabulate, I don't think. I know some people feel more empowered or they're in a place where they feel like they need to measure, count, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I certainly used to be in a measure, count everything space. And luckily, I'm not anymore. And actually, I'm a little bit resistant to that. Like, I don't really want to know. I just don't even think about it in that way. So do you go by your appetite as far as how much you eat and all that? You know, for a long time for me, I pretty much eat three meals a day. And that did come from Overeaters Anonymous. I don't know if that's still a recommendation, but back when I first started doing that, it was. But it's worked so beautifully for me because it gives me the time in between meals to learn how to live. And I know a lot of people do great with the grazing, and that's all fine. But for me, if I'm traveling, I'll stay at a bed and breakfast. If I have a job to do, I'm given a lunch hour. If my husband or a friend wants to go out, they'll say, let's go for dinner. And so the society kind of sets up these times for me. And in between, I get to be out there in life living. And what I've learned from a study of Ayurveda is that having that time in between to let the food digest so that your body isn't having to deal with some more coming in before it's dealt with what came in before. Um, So I, I do have that parameter And it seems to work really well. And it's not a hard and fast rule. This doesn't mean that if somebody said, let's go out and have afternoon tea, that I wouldn't do that. Or, you know, sometimes uh, things are different and and life uh, calls for some flexibility. But basically, I like eating when it's time to eat and living when it's time to live. And I bet your body becomes accustomed to that, too. Yeah. I imagine. That's beautiful. What would you recommend to somebody who eats a really quote, Western diet, lots of meat products, maybe lots of refined grains, all that stuff, who loves the idea of Mm -hmm. plant-based eating. And maybe they think veganism sounds awesome or vegetarianism sounds awesome, but I can't imagine my life without this, this, and this. Yeah. What are some of the first steps somebody can take? Sure. 
Well, I think first you want to educate yourself and not look at it as, oh, this is another diet, because diets are doomed to failure. They all are. It's just the concept. It seems like a prison sentence. So instead, there's so much great information online, and you can learn why somebody would want to do this. There are also wonderful documentary films. Uh, Cowspiracy, for instance, talks about the environmental connection of, of food choices. There's one called What the Health that some people think is a little bit too extreme on the health part, but still, it, it's very interesting to see people healing with the, the plant-based foods. And then um, there's someone called Earthlings, which I have frankly never watched because it shows so much animal cruelty. But for people who are saying, ah, come on, it can't be that bad. You know, there's one that shows Mm -hmm. you, yeah, it really is. And so once you learn what's going on, if you want to do this, you can do it your way. And in my book, Main Street Vegan, I give all of these different techniques for some people want to stop a few foods and keep the others in. That's all cool. Or some people want to do it part-time, or maybe they want to be vegan at home but let themselves eat other foods when they're out. Because really, that's the main thing. It's the social, you know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be out in the world and be this thing that I wasn't last week. And so at home, where you're in control of everything, you can start to create this wonderful kind of plant-based kitchen, and you can collect your recipes from books or online. And you build this foundation for yourself. And it's not a contest. And it's not anything that you have to do perfectly, whatever that is, until you get to the point where you say to yourself one day, yeah, yeah, this is pretty perfect. I'm liking this. Mm, I really, really like that a lot. Could you give us an example of what a a plant-based day of eating might look like. I know it varies from person to person. And for you, probably it's changed over time too. But let's say from somebody who's like, eggs and bacon, cheeseburger, <laughs> what what kind of stepping stone foods yeah. might feel more natural at sure. first? Sure. Well, the wonderful thing now for people that are, are really on the standard American diet, um, there are wonderful faux meats, cheeses. And a lot of people say, oh, well, that's fake. Or, oh, well, if you're such a vegetarian, why do you want something that tastes like meat? Well, it's because we all get used to what we grow up on. I mean, we were imprinted with those foods that our mother gave us. And interestingly enough, faux meats are not some kind of new thing. They were originally invented by Japanese Buddhist monks who were vegetarian for ethical and spiritual reasons, but they still missed the flavors that they used to have. So those were the first mock meats, and now there are wonderful ones, and they're made of all different things. It used to be they were almost all made of gluten and soy, which are foods that some people don't eat for various reasons, but now there are lots of them based on pea protein and and other sources, and they're really good, and some of them are so meaty that somebody who's been vegan as long as I have... You know, I don't even like them. There's uh, Beyond Meat chicken strips. My husband loves them. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. he goes away from his raw. My dog loves them. My dog <laughs> thinks it's chicken. And um, the cheeses, the vegan cheeses now are just wonderful. And they used to be awful. I remember. They wouldn't melt. Oh, or they were just oh. some of them were like waxy. Yeah. They were like Velveeta on a bad day. <laughs> yeah. And, which was great yeah. for somebody, you know, who wanted to be healthy and In the old days when we didn't have all these foods, it was kind of like if you went vegan, you were protected from baked goods and (laughs) all that. (laughs) And now that's all there, which is really good because we should be able to have as much discernment as anybody else. But there truly are vegan cheeses now. Uh, Kite Hill uh, here in Los Angeles 
uh, Miyoko's Kitchen um, in San Francisco, Treeline from upstate New York. These are cheeses you could feed to French people proudly. And so if you think about the kinds of foods you eat now, and then you just think about, well, how can I veganize these? And it's wonderful online. You can put in any kind of food that you like and just say, vegan chili cheese dog, vegan cheese omelet, vegan whatever, and you're going to find recipes for how you can create those. And it won't take very long before you're not so concerned about, well, what do I put where the meat used to be? (laughs) And you'll see that these bowls that we talked about before, these wonderful mixtures of foods or salad with something oomph factor, you know, the beans and the nuts and something that it's not just salad that's you're going to be hungry again in an hour, but really a salad that becomes a meal. And you just grow into all these things. It's like anything new. And you want to give yourself a lot of rope, a lot of leeway and time. Like if you're going to a natural food store, you know, give yourself some time to really look and read. And maybe you see a vegetable you've never seen before. We'll have your phone there and look up, you know, what do I do with fennel? Lots. Fennel's amazing. You can also put it in your juicer. It's wonderful. (laughs) But that for me was a food that kind of scared me. And I, I didn't really use it until fairly recently, even though I've been at this a long time. So there's always something new. Which makes it exciting, the the journey, for sure. I'd love to talk a little bit about this wonderful cookbook, the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook. One thing I love about it is the recipes aren't intimidating to me. As somebody who has felt like cooking can feel like a chore, depending on – occasionally I'm in the mood and I just feel like I'm going to take the time for this. But it doesn't have a bunch of – like, I I understand the lists. Like, they're – They don't have hundreds of ingredients or these really bizarre things I've never heard of. Tell us a little bit about how you chose what's in this book. Oh, thank you. Well, I run a program in New York City called Main Street Vegan Academy, and that is to train practicing vegans to be vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. And I think now we're going to add on entrepreneurs because so many of our graduates have started businesses. It's really exciting. So uh, in my very first class, uh, JL Fields was a popular blogger. She had a blog called um, uh, JL Goes Vegan. And she was doing recipes for a book called Vegan for Her, a wonderful book um, by JL and um, dietitian Virginia Messina. And after she took the academy, she just went gangbusters and became a a full-time vegan consulting and coaching and all that. And then she came back to be on the staff of the academy. And every time she came back, we'd talk about there really needs to be a cookbook. So we finally got together in a hotel room in Denver, Colorado, and mapped out the proposal. And what we wanted to do, there were really three things in particular. One was we wanted a cookbook that wasn't just recipes, but that was a coach in people's kitchen. Because we're training these coaches, and we've got 300 of them in 22 countries, but they're not everywhere. And not everybody, it's kind of like not everybody can have a personal trainer. Not everybody who's interested in changing their diet is going to hire a coach. So we wanted the information, the tips, the suggestions that we give to our clients and our students to be in this book. The second thing was we wanted a book that showed the whole range of what it's like to be vegan. Some people are are very strict about what they eat. Some people are really, really into only healthy, only healthy. And other people are like, you know what? Life is short. I want to know how you have vegan butter. 
And these are all valid ways of being. So we wanted to provide all of those. And then we also wanted a book that would be wonderful for somebody who was brand new to vegan cooking or maybe brand new to cooking, you know, who's always done lean cuisines and stuff like that. And the idea of actually putting ingredients together was new. Or uh, someone who loved to cook and who's a gourmet cook and who wanted to be challenged by some interesting recipes with lots of ingredients and interesting steps, and then the result would be fabulous. So I would say we're kind of two-thirds easy and one-quarter gourmet and in between there, something in between. But it's really fun because we have recipes from 60 of our graduates, and we all know most of our friends, whether we think of them as good cooks overall or not, everybody's got one recipe. They've got their grandmother's cookies or they got their mom's lasagna or something that's really good, and they always bring that to the potlucks. So what we have in the Main Street Vegan Academy is uh, over 60 people's very best recipe. I'm so excited. I saw these trail mix truffles. Yeah. I really want to make those because they have the dates. I love dates in any kind of, I guess it's not a baked good. A lot of completely raw foods have mm-hmm. ha, that are delicious, made out of dates, are yeah. so delicious. Do you have some favorite recipes you can mention? Oh, there's one a cheesy broccoli soup that I just love. I mean, I like soup anyway, especially in the wintertime. There's just something so comforting about it. That comes from one of our graduates uh, in Montana, uh, Bonnie Goodman. And, you know, to a vegan, especially one who went vegan before we had cheeses, anything that says cheesy is very appealing. So <laughs> love, love that soup. Um, there's another really sweet comfort recipe from JL, and it's called Uncle Wayne's Cookies. And it's really shortbread or Italian wedding cookies. You know, different cultures have different names for those. But one of the things that a lot of people think that when they're no longer using butter, they're going to give up is that kind of melt-in-your-mouth special dessert treat. And it's like that. But then I also love some of the super healthy, you know, we've got some green smoothies, uh, wonderful um, jackfruit salad. Jackfruit's very meaty. It's like, how did a fruit get to be meaty? Well, it did. <laughs> so there's a great variety. So exciting. I want to just bring this with me to the grocery store. That's <laughs> just a great idea, actually. from it. And you can get it as a Kindle or, or on your phone, and that's really easy to take to the grocery store. Perfect. So going back to the romance piece for just a minute, I wonder if there is a romantic eating experience that Uh you have had that you could tell us about. Oh, wow. Yes. I learned the power of courses. And I don't really know how most people do it or your listeners, but I had gotten into the habit of just food, you know, dinner. Here it all is. You know, here's the plate. And maybe we'd have some dessert that came later, but basically otherwise it was just here it all is. But I had this idea when I was having, you know, kind of, we haven't had a lot of romance in the past week or so. I'm going to kind of set some ambiance. And so, you know, I did the candles and all that. And instead of just here, have dinner, it was a first course. And we did start with a fresh juice, which of course I put in in the stem goblet. I put some celery, you know, stick in there. And then I did a lovely soup. And then I even brought out this little tiny, it is sorbet, you know, the 
in between the courses like we were at a very fancy restaurant. So the soup was spinach apple. It was a raw soup. And then I did a beautiful salad with a dressing that is very reminiscent of goat cheese. So this dressing uh, had olive oil, tahini, lemon juice, garlic, which if you're both eating it, doesn't necessarily make the romance go away. And wonderful, wonderful dressing. And and then, you know, we went on to the entree, which was very colorful. It was based on, on purple and uh, yellow sweet potatoes. And then for dessert, because we were full by then, and you don't want to eat a great big dinner if you're going to be romantic. So I made these little bitty, tiny raw chocolate mousses based on avocado. Mm. And it was... You know, when you take time to eat, I think this is one of the reasons why we always think of the French in terms of great food and romance. They take their time with the meals. My husband has worked there and he said, you really have to get used to the fact that people expect a two-hour lunch break. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're taking that much time, you talk and you look at each other and you kind of make little jokes and it really sets the mood in a very beautiful way. Mm, yes, I can see that. I love that. I remember being in France and feeling sort of struck by that and uncomfortable at first because we're if you're not used to taking your time, it can be kind of startling and and now now that I've studied mindful eating, I I don't like having a lot of distraction which is so opposite. You know, it's one of those step-by-step -step things that just became the way that I approach food. And I find that I get so much more enjoyment, not only out of the food, but also out of the company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Could you please share where everyone can find more about you, oh, purchase you your book? Sure. Bless your heart. Okay. Well, everything that happens at Main Street Vegan is on MainStreetVegan.net. So uh, we talk about the Academy there, all the books. There's a wonderful weekly blog, which is also contributed to by various graduates from Main Street Vegan Academy. So you get a lot of different takes and, and we go back several years. So there are a lot of great archives in the blog. You can get to the podcast from there the Main Street Vegan podcast where I interview wonderful vegans. And um, then there's a film of making the Compassion Project, which is to introduce vegan living to people who identify as religious or spiritual. So there's lots going on there. And then all across social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Main Street Vegan, would love to see you. Thank you so much for being here and for everything that you do. I just think it's so invaluable. Thank you, August. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>